I want to begin today with a conversation around medical assistance in dying. So it's been seven years now since this became legal in Canada, and that followed a Supreme Court of Canada decision that struck down the previous criminal prohibition of medical assistance in dying. Now, Canada is on the cusp of some pretty major changes to the criteria around medical assistance in dying. So I think it's important that we understand what the reality in Canada has become and what is it that we're opening the door to. So we've got new data new numbers. Now, each of these numbers represents an individual. Each of these numbers represents an individual's choice to utilize, to make use of, access to medical assistance in dying. So these numbers have risen. So last year, 2022, according to Health Canada, 13,241 people uh, died, uh, made use of, of medical assistance in dying. Since 2016, the total number is 44,958. The uh, 2022 numbers represent an increase of 31.2% over the year before. In fact, medical assistance in dying, those deaths accounted for 4.1% of all deaths in Canada in 2022. Uh, so what do we make of that? Well, joining us for some thoughts is someone who has been watching all of this uh, unfold very closely and uh, has some concerns about perhaps the path we're on here. Trudell Lemons is a professor and school chair in health, law, and policy, the Faculty of Law, University of Toronto. Uh, professor Lemons, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, good afternoon, Rob. Uh, when we look at these numbers, how should we make sense of that? I mean, or how should we view that in your view? Well, it depends uh, really on the position that you take uh, to this, uh, but I would say <laughs> it's it's hard to deny that we have stunning a stunning number of uh, assisted uh, deaths in the country. So, uh, in other countries, they call they refer to this as euthanasia and assisted suicide. Most of our cases are cases of euthanasia. So, in a period of uh, five six years, we actually have bypassed. Um, the most liberal regimes in the world, particularly Belgium and the Netherlands, uh, we're more or less uh, on average in, in Canada as a whole at the level of the Netherlands, but we're bypassing Belgium uh, in, in terms of the proportion of people who die by medical assistance and dying. And, um, and it's a very rapid increase uh, and an increase which I would say clearly indicates that this is not the kind of exceptional procedure that uh, even if you read the Supreme Court decision in Carter when they were talking about the fact that there may, that there was a need, that so they said the, the absolute prohibition on euthanasia assisted suicide is unconstitutional, uh, but they emphasized that that in exceptional circumstances, as as in the case that they had in, in before them, they felt that there had to be some form of access to uh, assisted dying provided by a physician uh, or help by a physician to die, and. And I would say if you have uh, close to uh, to 5% now of uh, the percentage of people who die by assisted dying, um, it's no longer an exceptional procedure. So that's, that, that I think is, is clear. Another thing that I would say is striking is the huge uh, disparities or the differences between the different provinces. Mm -hmm. So if you take uh, Quebec, for example, 6.6% of people now die by medical assistance and dying. British Columbia, you have 5.5%. These are 
in terms of jurisdictions, the highest percentages in the world. Uh, we have other other um, provinces like uh, Alberta, uh, where it's uh, where it's much lower, where we but we're, we're at two point six percent, which is in and of itself already high compared to, say, the assisted suicide regimes that we. Uh, we have in the United States and in, in New Zealand and Australia, but it's clearly significantly lower in Alberta and in Saskatchewan and in Manitoba than in uh, Quebec and and um, BC. So some people say, oh, it's just a question of of you know being having access to it and and people choosing this. Right. But but if you look at the criteria of the law, the law still requires. That the person has to have an irremediable medical condition that causes intolerable suffering, and there must be an irreversible decline of capabilities. And these are access criteria, but also safeguards. Um, well, I, my question then immediately is: Is there so significantly more irremediable medical illness that, in other words, that cannot be dealt with adequately? Is there so much more intolerable suffering? In Quebec and BC, than in Alberta and and uh, and uh, Saskatchewan. So, I, I, from my perspective, from somebody who works on on the regulation of uh, professional practices and who has cautioned about uh, an all too easy expansion of this practice, I think it's it's uh, worrisome. Should, should we be surprised by these increases? We go back uh, in 2017, for example, there was about 2,800 uh, cases of medical assistance in dying. It's now over 13,000. That, that is a significant increase, but is this maybe what we, we should have expected? Uh, yeah, so, um, I mean, I have to state up front that I supported the original legislation, which was a response to a Supreme Court decision. Mm -hmm. I argued, uh, even as an expert witness for the government in the Quebec Truchon case and NBC case, uh, that there was reason why you would want to uh, have as a safeguard um, end of life situation. So in other words, that this is an exceptional procedure that is meant to facilitate the dying process and people who are in, you know, approaching their death. Yeah. Uh, now the government has has expanded that, and I would say even under the previous law, we had we had as a criteria, which was supposed to be a safeguard, a reasonable, foreseeable natural death. So people had to be approaching their natural death, but it was already interpreted so widely that we've seen people receiving medical assistance and dying in sometimes troubling circumstances. Uh, of intersecting poverty, problems with accessing timely care, and people giving up. And um, and so I'm not saying that these are the majority of cases, but um, it's clear that we have a, a, a stunning increase, which is associated with flexible interpretation of already broad criteria. We now have an expansion outside of the end-of-life context. Yeah. Uh, we, we also have, as, an unique, as a unique rule, uh, because there is no liberal, uh, so Belgium and Netherlands are the other, I would say, the, the two other major liberal regimes out there. They require that physicians agree that there are no other medical options left. In Canada, somehow we have turned medical assistance in dying into uh, something that is available, even if other medical options are available, but people may not access them because there may be wait times or, or people refuse them for often reasons that are unclear because... 
Uh, I mean, when we're dealing with significant illness and disability, people are often unsure. People are people may may be giving up too quickly. So instead of the medical professionals being obliged to say to patients, well, I can't ac give access to that unless we there is no other medical option left. Here in Canada, we've introduced in the law and the government has been warned about that. Parliament has been warned about that. We have introduced a rule that people can refuse all forms of care and still uh, insist of having medical assistance and dying. One of the numbers uh, in, in this Health Canada report that stands out, so there were 463 cases last year, so that's 3.5% of the total, where the person's natural death was not reasonably foreseeable. And you alluded to this in terms of the criteria as it's been laid out. And as we expand that criteria, I imagine that that number would would rise. So what do we make of, of the increasing portion proportion of cases where, where natural death is not reasonably foreseeable? Yeah, so um, yes, indeed, I mean, it's an important thing. So last year, we didn't have a full year where the law allowed medical assistance outside of the end-of-life context, and we had 2.2% of 10,000. Now we have 3.5% of 13,000, which is several hundreds of people who normally under... Uh, without this this medical assistance dying provision, uh, most of them would, would likely have been alive. And so these are now dead. I mean, is it because they were suffering unbearably? Obviously, that's the, uh, that, that are the access criteria. But if you then look also at um, some of the reasons why um, people receive medical assistance in dying, uh, there are broad categories. For example, there's a category which in the Health Canada report is stated as made, made for other conditions. And this is, I would say, uh, for me, a red flag that we see in there, frailty. 25% uh, of people who received this for other conditions. And actually, uh, I have to uh, clarify. So 17% out of the um, 13,000 people, so 17 out of 13,000 received medical assistance and dying for other conditions than, say, cancer, heart condition, and so on. So we have in that broad category, frailty, 25%, diabetes, 11%, chronic pain, uh, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, fractures, vision and hearing loss, um, frequent falls. So many things actually that people who are elderly often suffer from. Now, in Belgium and the Netherlands, and again, this is something I testified about in the Touchon case, I testified about how in Belgium, uh, they at one point they started seeing increasing numbers of people uh, who were receiving euthanasia, who were not approaching their death, and who were ca characterized as having uh, so-called uh, 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 polypathology. And it's the same, other conditions, general frailty. Uh, and I would say in Belgium as well, but I, I would say the same. So I agree with the commentators in Belgium who said, this sounds like a medicalization of old age. Yeah. They're starting to say to elder people, here you have medical assistant dying you suffer from all these difficult things your life you're, you're so we're sending the message in a way your life is terrible we can we can offer you a way to uh, out of your suffering it's interesting so uh, starting in march this is when the the um, the criteria expands uh, so would would include those who, who are suffering from mental illness now there's a lot of concern about how far we're going last week uh, all parties in in the house of commons agreed to recall a special joint committee that's going to provide some further oversight so what do you make of of the the pace we're going at here and what we might be opening the door to uh, come march of next year 
Yes, so uh, unlike uh, the government, which has supported this expansion outside of the in the context of mental health, so when people with with mental health as a sole condition will have access to medical assistance dying, uh, and uh, unlike the government and some uh, and an official advisory committee that that it set up, which said that oh this will only be in exceptional cases, I would say there is nothing in the law that clarifies that this will only be given when all other forms of treatment have been tried out and people have been suffering for years from mental illness, it will be broadly available and it will really be driven, I fear, by uh, potential individual psychiatrists who perhaps well-meaning, but who have this vision that this is what people with mental illness should have access to as a form of relief of suffering. And many in the health community uh, many health, mental health care providers are really concerned that this will uh, lead, and, and in, this has happened in Belgium and Netherlands, not in huge numbers, but again, in Belgium and Netherlands, this, the law is more severe because physicians have to agree that there are no other medical options left, which is, which hasn't been interpreted in this way in, the, in the Canadian context. So we will have people who are maybe applying because of, of severe depression, schizophrenia, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, um, perhaps even uh, persons, uh, although this is de this debated whether this is should be constructed as a mental illness, but people with autism, cognitive disabilities, name it, mm -hmm. broad category of people who who are struggling with mental illness and who may feel uh, wrongly often because mental health care, if mental health care is available, they, most of them will recover. They may wrongly perceive them themselves as being without hope and may be applying for MAID, and it will depend on who they will be seeing, whether they will be receiving MAID or not. We'll see where this all goes from here. Professor Lemons, appreciate your insight on all of this. Thanks so much for joining us here this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank you all for best. having Take me. Take care. Uh, there you go. That is uh, Trudeau Lemons, uh, professor and school chair in health law and policy, the Faculty of Law, University of Toronto. So some thoughts on, on these numbers that we have now today from Health Canada, kind of where this whole debate is going. It feels like maybe we're going too far too fast. I, I get that each case is, is an individual and an individual decision. And, and maybe there's some level of indifference that the rest of us should feel like, should we have a preference that the number should be this or that? And that's what I mean by, by indifference. But the fact that they've risen so dramatically is something we should be cautious about as we move forward. Is there really that much more suffering today than there was uh, in 2017 or 2018? Or is there really more suffering in some provinces than in others? So what do we make of those increases and those differences? But at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, the, the criminal prohibition on medical assistance in dying was wrong and it was cruel. And, and it was proper that it be struck down. Uh, dying with dignity should be an option available to people. I had a text here from someone who says, thank heavens for me. I give my husband the dignity and peace of mind of choosing when he was to die. He had terminal cancer, right? And it's, it's hard to see how anyone would or could object to that. And I don't think that's what we're talking about when we talk about going too far. But I, I do wish maybe our, our, our politicians would be more cautious in how we approach this. So, yes, medical assistance in dying should exist. That should be an option. But maybe we need to be a little more cautious with uh, the parameters we're putting around this.